Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, January 4th, 2021. This is Josh Caldwell, Lifeline's Vice President of International Ministries. Today, we're going to continue our study of Lifeline's faith statement, and we're going to be looking at verses, um, but focus on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, this is the last, uh, last week was the last Monday of 2020. Can you believe it? The last week um, of a year that has changed so much for so many. Um, and it is only fitting um, that this Bible study that we focus on a, a very significant chapter of Scripture in the Bible in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So we're going to start and I'm going to read our faith statement up until this point today, uh, starting with kind of the first five points. And then we'll stop there and we'll talk about Ephesians today. But number one is that we believe in God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Two, we believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and fully God and fully man. Three, is that we believe in the physical resurrection of his crucified body, in his ascension into heaven, his present life for us as our high priest and advocate, providing a sufficiency for body, soul, and spirit for the believers. Number four, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures as a representative, substitutionary, and complete sacrifice that all who believe in him are justified on the ground of his shed blood. And number five, which we're going to talk about today, is that we believe that all who receive by grace through faith the Lord Jesus Christ are born of the Holy Spirit and become children of God. And there is no other way of salvation but through Jesus. Let's start with a a quote. um, Salvation is an act of the unmerited favor of God that comes through faith in Christ and reconciles people with God. Jesus is the one uniquely qualified God-man who defeated sin and death and reigns as king. Therefore, there is no way to be reconciled to God apart from Jesus. Let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And we think about our faith statement and why is it important? These verses that we just read are a great testament of why our faith statement is important. This is the message that we are trying to share with the world and the children that we are ministering to, the families we are trying to support, and the trainings that we are trying to offer. This is the the core of biblical orphan care is this idea um, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And they are all, in one way or another, we are trying to uh, show the world um, that Christ has saved us and he has done this work on the cross to save us from our sins. When I started at Lifeline about eight and a half years ago, I would travel around and speak at churches and schools and really anyone that would listen. And one of the things I shared and talked about was motivation. Like, what is our motivation for caring for the orphan? And I felt like this is one way that I could show who we are and what we're about and what we're trying to to do is to talk about motivation. So I'm going to share with you just a few of those things today um, as we get into this chapter and verse um, that we're going to be studying. And so when you think about like, what is our motivation? The first thing um, that we are motivated by scripture, James one twenty seven says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Also, uh, Psalm 10, 16 through 18 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land, O Lord. You hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the wor- or of the earth may strike terror no more. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22 when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. When you beat your trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyards, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So one of our motivations, our major motivation is the motivated by Scripture. We're also motivated by the plight of the orphan, that there are 150 plus million vulnerable children in the world only a small percentage of them will have a permanent loving uh, place to call home. Millions of them do not have schooling and millions are ensnared in abuse and neglect and trafficking. And the plight of the orphan, we are motivated by that because of Christ in us. And that's what leads us to this next motivation, this high motivation that we are actually motivated because we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So we're thinking about orphan care. Why are we doing orphan care? Because in justification, we are made right before God. And in adoption, we are loved by God the Father. And what are we saved from? We are saved from an eternity separated from God. We are saved to something as well. We're saved to a family the family of God. So what motivates us to care for orphans is we're motivated by our own rescue. We were rescued out of the miry clay 
by Christ, and we are motivated to share the love of Christ with the world. We're motivate, not motivated by being a rescuer. We do not want to be a rescuer. We want to be the rescued. We want to have a posture that we were the ones that were rescued and that we want to share the love and uh, all that is of the character of God with others. Uh, J.I. Packard says this. He said, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, and this is talking about adoption in the conversion sense, the spiritual sense, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how well he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I love that um, quote and that scripture. In the past, I would share, I've been able to share these things with several families um, th- th- through my time at, through many families, through my time at Lifeline. I've been able to share of our our background and why we are doing what we are doing in our faith statement. And the truth is there is no other way to salvation except through Jesus. And that is at the center of Christianity. G- John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When we think about salvation and the lifeline faith statement, there's several elements of salvation that we must agree upon from Ephesians 2. Number one is that we are all dead in our own sin. Ephesians 2, 1, we see that it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead, not others. This is talking about you. You were dead. And so we must make this personal. You have to stop pointing fingers at others and stop talking about others' sin. We need to think about us. We were dead in our trespasses. And dead is a permanent dead. Dead is an action. It is is not an action. It is a condition. It is a condition that we cannot recover from. Everyone has the has will to be able to choose righteousness, yet no one does this without Christ. And we see this in, in Romans 6, 20 through 21. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Sin is universal as well. So dead is, is, is permanent. Sin is universal. No one is excused from the curse of sin. We see this in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. And we must remember that we are sinners. When my son and I are talking about salvation, this is one of the things that we always go back to and make sure and I ask him, who has sinned? Who's, has daddy sinned? Has mommy sinned? Has your teacher sinned? Ha, who has sinned? All have sinned. All of us, the whole world, we are sinners. And so sin is universal. So dead is permanent. Sin is universal. And that no one seeks after God on his own. Romans 3, 10 through 19. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom 
of Asip is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable for God. The word in here, the trespasses in verse one of Ephesians, trespasses to break the law, which is something we've all done. It is in our nature that we are in control and that God is not and that we can handle it ourselves. But God is the creator of the world. And we look to him and say, no, we're in charge. We are rebellious, rebellious against him. And as a result of our rebellion and our trespassing, we are dead in our sin. And we, we, we need to understand this as we're communicating the gospel, that it requires us to be clear about our problem, our rebellion problem, that sin is at the core of our being and we have rebelled against God and we are dead without him and really dead, not just kind of dead, but dead, dead. First, the element that we need to agree on about salvation is that we are dead in our sin. And number two is that God provided for salvation completely in spite of our rebellion. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world. So we were walking in sin and trespassing, following the world. We were not only, we were active. We were actively rebelling. We were, we were walking and we were following. Those are action words that we were doing against God, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. We were carrying out and the mind, and by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were actively rebelling against God, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power. We were living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the body. This is a, an active rebellion, and our body's de bodily desires became the control over our actions, and sin, again, is our big problem. You and I deserve the wrath of God, but God provided for salvation completely, even in spite of our rebellion. So the first element that we need to see is that we are dead in sin. And the second is that God provided salvation completely in our rebellion. And third, by God's grace, he acted and made us alive together in Christ. By God's grace, he acted and made us alive together with Christ. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 2. Let's start in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So as we're thinking about that he made us alive, let's look at verses 4 and 5. God made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6 here, God gave us a place in his family through Christ. In verse 7, God shows the immeasurable depths of his grace by sharing by saving us. And then God alone means grace, I'm sorry, grace alone means that God loves, forgives and saves us not because of who we are, but because of the work of Christ. 
notice all of these things in this text that God does. Um, he loved us, um, raised up. We were raised up with him. We're seated with him that he might show us grace in Christ. This is a gift of God in Christ. Who is doing all of this action? It is God. It is the one God who is doing this action. I want to point out two other sections of this, um, of this section of verses. It's by grace, you have been saved and by grace, you have been saved through faith. These things are done to you, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. God did this. God is the one who is doing this and it is he does all of this based upon who he, he is. God is holy. He is just. He is wrathful. He has mercy. His love. And this is all over these texts. And you can feel it here in Ephesians 2. You can see God's wrath mentioned in verse 3. But then in the very next verse, you will see his grace and his mercy. So if we look back at verse 3, we see among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, we were nature, children of wrath. But then we see in verse four, he was rich in mercy and great in love. And so we see this contrast of his his love and his justice. And you can see God's wrath mentioned, and then you can see his great love, his justice and his mercy. Both here, we must not minimize these characteristics of God. If we're going to understand the gospel, we've got to exalt the entire character of God and we've got to understand his both his love and his wrath. And in all these things, we have to understand his holiness. It's a key to understanding the gospel. And he can't just pass over that. Um, and, And a question, really a big question, is how can God be just and merciful? And the answer is the fullness of Christ. God looked at us. We were fully dead in our sin and he sent Jesus. He sent his son, God in flesh. Jesus lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserve. I love this. When my uh, oldest son was uh, being baptized, he wrote out his testimony, and one of the words he wrote out was propitiation. And he wrote out that, you know, God is my substitute, or Jesus was my substitute. He died this death that I deserved to die, and he loves to hold on to that idea and that that uh, word and I love that that is that is so ingrained in him that understanding that Jesus lived a life we could not live and he died a death that we could not or that we deserve to die and he died it for us he rose from the dead and Jesus is alive which makes salvation possible for all so let's look again at Ephesians 2 I want to see just four four times here we see in Christ and with Christ in Ephesians 2 5 he made us Alive together with Christ, alive with him. He's alive. We come to life in him. Ephesians 2, 6, he was seated with us in him in the heavenly place. In Ephesians 2, 7, immeasurable riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. So the first element is that we need to agree on that we are dead in sin. Number two is that we... Uh, that God provided salvation completely in spite of our rebellion. Number three, that God's grace he acted, made us alive. And then the last one is that faith is a response to God's grace. Martin Luther said that faith is a living, bold trust in God's unmerited favor. Billy Graham said, faith is simply means believing something is true, committing our lives to it. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says, A faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So why faith? Why did God design faith to be the means of salvation? It's, it's really at the heart of that is because faith is a realization that there's nothing you can do. No amount of work, no amount of obedience, no amount of love can accomplish this. David Platt says, faith is the accomplish, the acknowledgement that there is nothing you can do but trust in what has been done for you. And faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves, which is why Paul said, this is not your own doing. It is the gift from God. In this, we begin to realize that the gospel is not just information, it is an invitation that demands a decision, a response. And the gospel is not just a statement of details of what Christ has done. It describes what we must do. We must trust in him. So let's remember today that we are dead in our sin. God provided for our salvation in spite of our rebellion. And by God's grace, he acted and made us alive together in Christ and that faith is a response to God's grace. In closing, I want us to pray today um, and just remember Ephesians 2. I would encourage you to go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And today we're praying for the country of India. We're praying that the Lord would continue to ignite hearts of believers all over India, that we would pray for the central authority, thank, thanking the Lord for Kara and the people there that um, looking at the best interest of children there and that we would continue to see them placed in loving uh, gospel-centered families. We want to pray for the church to continue to grow in the midst of COVID-19. We have a few specific prayer requests. We want to pray for our development director, Clifton's wife, Morgan, as she is um, having her uh, second child this week. We want to pray for just a generous donor at the end of this year. We want to pray for all of our donors at the end of 2020 and moving into 2021. And we want to pray for transition of families. This, there's some families transitioning away from their agency and coming to Lifeline. And we just want to pray for those families today. So will you join me in a word of prayer. God, thank you for Ephesians 2. Thank you for teaching us today. Um, Lord, just an incredible passage of scripture to understand that we are dead in our sin, that we are rebellious. And in spite of that, you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a death that we could not, or that that we deserved, but live a life we could not live and, and died a death that we deserved fully. God, thank you for just this this faith that we must have this this way of salvation that is totally not dependent on us because it is the work of Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for India and thank you for Cara, our team there and uh, our partners there at Cara. And I just pray that you would uh, continue to um, see this work of the child's best interest of in India. And I pray that you would continue to see our team on the ground in India, as well as our team in the U.S. as we advocate for children and what's in their best interest as we advocate for families. Lord, today we want to pray for Morgan, um, our uh, development director's wife, Morgan, as she is having her second child. And we pray for a safe 
delivery. I want to thank you for all of our donors in 2020 and in 2021 coming forward. Lord, thank you for a generous donor who's giving us a match at the end of the year. And just thank you for your many blessings, Lord. And we see that as that. And we want to be good stewards of those resources, Lord. And as we pray for these families that are transitioning to Lifeline, I pray that they have a smooth transition and get all their questions answered and be able to join us in our team and be a part of the Lifeline family. Lord, thank you for your many blessings today. And as we start this new year, Lord, we want to look for uh, ways to share your name with the world. We want to honor you with our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Defender Podcast. I hope you have a great Monday and have a great rest of your week. If you're listening to this at a different time and uh, awesome 2021, let us focus our minds and our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.